You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't on the Savage Lovecast. Elections, as they say, have consequences, and our most recent presidential election more consequential than most one of the consequences this week today as i sit down to record the top of the show is watching the president-elect of the united states wage twitter war on meryl streep megan mccain jumped in to assist donald trump in waging war on meryl streep saying that Streep's speech and others like it at golden globes are the reason why donald trump won the election Donald Trump winning the election isn't something that Meghan McCain opposed. Meghan McCain was for Donald Trump, wanted Donald Trump to win the election, in part because she just couldn't support Hillary Clinton because Bill Clinton cheated on his wife. Cheated and lied, Bill Clinton, to quote Meghan McCain, cheated on his marriage vows. Meghan McCain, of course, is the daughter of John McCain's second wife, Cindy John McCain started to fuck his second wife, the woman who had become his second wife, Cindy, while he was still married to his first wife. So Meghan McCain owes her very existence to an adulterous affair, which makes Meghan McCain throwing stones at the Clintons and their marriage just a little galling. Sorry about the Meghan McCain aside, not actually what I want to talk about. I want to talk about elections have consequences. Sometimes in the U.S. they have fewer consequences than they might by dint of our gridlocked by design political system, all these checks and balances, and that prevents parties from perhaps delivering on the promises they make to rile up their base. And this can instill in people cynicism. As Nathaniel Frank pointed out in his terrific book that you should probably pick up and read if you haven't read already, I am rereading it now, What's the Matter with Kansas? Republicans promise a human life amendment to ban abortion. When they run, when they're elected, they deliver a capital gains tax cut. It is the ongoing, never-ending bait-and-switch that the GOP engages. And the GOP can say, we couldn't give you a ban on abortion because, oh, those rhinos, those Republicans in name only, those liberal Republicans who are now extinct, they blocked us in cahoots with the Democrats. We couldn't get it through because of the Democrats. Well, now you're about to see what happens when Republicans control everything, and they have the power to deliver on their promises to their base. And that is why this election perhaps more consequential than most, and not just for Meryl Streep. The GOP-dominated Congress, which has already been sworn in, is already hard at work at repealing Obamacare, much to the consternation of Trump voters in red states where a higher percentage of people actually are on Obamacare. They're going to lose their health insurance, and now Republicans are rolling out defunding Planned Parenthood, which is going to disproportionately impact poor women, white working class women, even, all over the country. Planned Parenthood is popular, kind of like Meryl Streep is popular. Planned Parenthood and Meryl Streep, both a lot more popular than Donald Trump, certainly both a lot more popular than Meghan fucking McCain. But the Republican Party is going to have to deliver on this, these unpopular promises, the promises they've been making to their base for 30, 40 years that they could never deliver on because of the goddamn Democrats and the rhinos, which are now extinct, they're in a position to deliver on. And it looks like they're going to do it. it. looks like they're going to deliver on it. And then we shall see. We shall see what happens when that shit flies through that fan. 
because the GOP is not in a position anymore, and I don't think they're inclined anymore to deny their rabid base what they've been promising the rabid base for decades, which is going to make this a much more consequential election for all of us as Americans, and also, I think in the long run, a consequential election for the GOP. Quick note, I take no delight in the prospect of Trump voting, Obamacare-dependent people, voters all over this country, losing their health insurance. And, as people are pointing out, some of them will lose their lives as a consequence. I am a squishy liberal. I take no delight in the prospect of Trump voters who may rely on Planned Parenthood not having access to those services anymore. I'm a liberal. I want those services to exist for everyone, regardless of their political position or who they voted for. I am incredibly concerned about the destruction of Planned Parenthood at the hands of the woman-hating, sex-hating GOP. Lives will be lost as a consequence, not just the lives of Trump voters, lives I value as well, but the lives of liberals and progressives and people of color and queers. It is one thing to promise your rabid base something that you expect you will never have to deliver on for fear of alienating the majority of the rest of the country, the majority of voters. Is another thing to actually be in a position to deliver on that promise. And they are now in a position to deliver. And we shall see. We shall see who wins this in the long run. I do not think it is the GOP. Another saying people are kicking around, what happens when the dog catches the car? All right, coming up today on the show, we have tons of your questions. And on the Magnum Savage Lovecast, we have Amp from the popular YouTube Sex Ed and Kink Ed web series, What's the Safe Word?, here to talk about breath play and breath control and how appropriate in a moment when the whole country is collectively holding its breath. The Magnum, for those of you who have just joined the Savage Lovecast family, is the subscription Savage Lovecast. It is twice as long. There are no ads. You can go to www.savagelovecast.com for information about subscribing to the Magnum edition and supporting the Savage Lovecast. Hi, Dan. My name is Raleigh, and I have a question for you. Uh, a good high school friend of mine uh, came out to us when we were all in college. Uh, this was probably about 10 years ago, and part of his very long email coming out as gay was uh, a promise that he was going to go pray away the gay uh, at some retreat in the desert somewhere. So he went off the, off the grid for about five or six years and very recently came back into our lives, and we're all very happy to, to be in communication with him again. We've missed him. We've missed hearing from him and having him in our lives. But how can we be supportive while, all, while not being supportive of his resolve to not be gay anymore? Essentially, I want to be able to uh, welcome him back as a friend, but not support his desire to, once he gets his career sorted out, go, quote unquote, church hunting for a bride. So that's that's my question, really. How do I welcome him back and encourage him to to be who he who he is deep down? Um, the other element of it is that uh, the the positive aspect of his sojourn into the desert was that he was able to come to grips with some childhood abuse that he suffered at the hands of his family. So I don't want to discount that, but neither me nor any of our other friends believe in his praying away the gay. That's that's clearly not a, not a thing. You might want to sit your friend down in front of a computer and Google Exodus International from 1976 when it was founded until 2013 when it shut its doors. 
Exodus International, which at one point had 250 ministries across the country, was the biggest ex-gay, pray-away-the-gay, reparative therapy, bullshit, horseshit, quackery-shit organization in the world. And in 2013, they closed their doors because Exodus International, the people whose livelihoods, people who made money pimping this shit, even they had to admit after decades of slogging away that this didn't fucking work. This was some years after Alan Chambers, then the head of Exodus International, said that the opposite of homosexuality wasn't heterosexuality. He famously observed the opposite of homosexuality was holiness. So Exodus, which for years had told its acolytes, its marks, that if they just prayed hard enough and they really meant it and they were totes sincere, Jesus would turn them straight had to admit in the end that that didn't work. And that was a pretty good scam because you tell somebody that, well, the effectiveness, the efficacy of our treatment depends on the sincerity that you bring to the table. So if it didn't work, it's not our fault. It's not Jesus's fault. It's your fault. You didn't pray hard enough. You really didn't mean it. You were still harboring a secret desire to be a sinful cocksucker. It was nice work while you could get it. It was nice work while you could fool people, but eventually... The gig ran out. That doesn't mean there aren't still organizations out there and still churches out there preying on queer people like your friend, preying on people, praying, P-R-E-Y-I-N-G, preying on people like your friend who believe or would like to believe that they can P-R-A-Y, the G-A-Y, away. But it doesn't fucking work. And I promise you it didn't work for your friend. And I promise you he knows it. And when he desperately tries to concentrate when he's jacking off on Dana Carvey's church lady, it doesn't fucking work. His mind will drift all on its own to the ass and cock and man tits and pits that he wishes to crawl into bed with. So what are your responsibilities to him as a friend? Well, would you be friends with someone who, say, ran down a street one day and jumped some unsuspecting woman and beat the shit out of her? Would you be that guy's friend? Probably not. You would look at his actions and say, well, this person is not nice. That's not something that a nice person does. And I want to have not perfect friends, but friends who, when they harm other people or hurt other people, it isn't an intentional malicious act. And what your friend is talking about doing here is the sexual, emotional, marital equivalent of jumping some poor unsuspecting woman on the street and beating the fuck out of her. It's just instead of it being over in a moment, his plan is to jump some poor unsuspecting woman in church, propose to her, marry her, and then spend the next 30, 40 years beating her up emotionally, sexually, uh, maritally. Because people who've been married to gay men who were in the closet, gay men who believe Jesus had prayed away the gay, or gay men who thought they could never come out so they had no choice, and you know some gay men do marry under duress in societies and circumstances where they have no other option, but women who are in those marriages are not fulfilled and often spend decades wondering what's wrong with them. And it is painful, and it is damaging psychologically, and if it's bundled up with the Jesus shit, spiritually damaging. And I don't think you want to play any part in that. I don't think you want to be complicit in your friend's plan to spend the next 30, 40 years beating the shit out of some poor unsuspecting woman. And I think you should tell him that. So I guess what I'm trying to say is this is the sort of actions that, that your friend is about to undertake, that he has telegraphed to you that he's about to undertake, that require you as a decent human being to break with your friend, to tell your friend, no, you cannot be his friend if he's going to 
live a lie and not just, you know, live a chaste life, not just tell himself he's ex gay because he's not putting his dick in boys, but to live a lie that then is weaponized and destroys someone else's life in the process. That you are not going to be complicit in that. So you cannot be his friend. You will not go on double dates with him. You not, will not welcome him and his poor duped girlfriend into your social circle where you will then be required to, by being his friend in a sense, vouch for and therefore lie for him. That you are not going to be a party to this. So friendship over. That you aren't going to be friends with a messy Jesus addict for the same reasons you wouldn't be friends with a messy meth addict. Hey, Dan. I'm a gay guy from the East Coast, and I have a question about thirds and really the end of a trouble relationship. So backstory is my husband and I invited a third who is one of my dear friends into our relationship. Had a had a good run for about six months or seven or eight months or so, but eventually it didn't work out. Things kind of were tense between my husband and our third, and ultimately, you know, our third was just not someone that I had necessarily wanted to be in a romantic relationship with, but he is still my best friend. Basically, at this point in time, they had a a conflict that ended the throuple relationship, and now I'm kind of in a bind. They're not reconciled. They haven't reconciled. My friend was going to write a letter, you know, explaining his feelings and apologizing for, you know, the situation that kind of precipitated the end of it. But he just has never done so. He hasn't followed through. I think he just is avoiding conflict at this point in time and not really important to him. My husband's kind of come down and made the judgment that he's not going to do anything to repair it either. So I'm stuck in a bind because on the one hand, I have my best friend who I hang out with all the time and I see a lot. And I have my husband who I spend time with all the time and a lot, but I can't have them together. And it's kind of getting to the point where it's driving me crazy. I'm trying to figure out a way to make it so that they can be in the same place and not have it be awkward. Do you have any advice? I was thinking I was going to try and basically broker a peace treaty for all intents and purposes and just sit them down and mediate between them. But is that going to have any effect? Gays are usually pretty good at being friends or salvaging friendships out of romantic relationships that ended or ran their course, even ones that sometimes blew up pretty spectacularly. But those friendships tend to take root or re-root after a nice long cooling off period, after you don't have to see each other for a while or really think about each other for a while. Your presence, of course, in your husband's life, which is a given, and in your friend's life, calls the question for both these guys. They're still kind of wrapped up in each other. They still have this connection through you. So you're just going to have to force the issue. You're going to have to put it in your husband's head that you're still, as I'm sure he knows, hanging out with your friend. And you're going to have to tell your friend that being in a relationship with you, not a romantic one, not a sexual one, just a friendship with you, means being at some point in the future in relationship with, a friendship with, bank shot, the husband of a friend, bank shot friendship, in that relationship with your husband. And they are going to have to learn how to be in the same room together again. You say that your third is someone that you didn't want to be necessarily in a sexual relationship with. So I'm guessing that it was your husband or your friend that initiated this, that maybe there was an intense sexual connection and a passion between them. And you were just kind of along for the ride and open to it. 
So there's going to be more heat uh, in their breakup than in your breakup with your friend because you were never that invested in him romantically, sexually, passionately. You were more invested in him in a friendly way. So let the embers cool. Let your husband and your friend have a good six months, eight months without you pushing them into the same room together. But it's going to be awkward. Can't avoid that awkwardness, at least the first time. It is going to be awkward. And there's no avoiding the awkwardness. Awkwardness just has to be slogged through. You have to push through it like swimming through a pool full of jello. And you will come out the other side and you will feel less awkward once you live with the awkwardness and push through and move through the awkwardness. But there's no avoiding it. There's no magic words that you can say. There's nothing your friend can put in that letter to your husband that he should write that is going to make the awkwardness go away. It's going to disappear the awkwardness. That's going to make that first meeting feel less awkward and forced. It's going to be forced. And you just have to let it be forced. And it's going to be awkward. You just have to let it be awkward. And you know what will be less awkward? The second time. And even less awkward the third time you all see each other. I would encourage you on those first and second times that maybe it's not just the three of you. Don't have an intimate little dinner. That you have some friends over. That you have a party. That you each, all three of you, have people that you can pivot to and have conversations with. And also, it requires you when there are others around to not want to be the problem. Not want to be the problem child in this ex-thruple. So each of you will make an effort while there are others around to be perhaps more civil and chummy and friendly than you might feel like being at that first meeting. So a dinner party, eight or 10 guys or eight or 10 friends, not just guys, and uh, the boyfriend and the husband too. Hey, Dan, a long-time listener and reader, first-time caller. Uh, I think I was raped by my, I'm guessing, ex-girlfriend tonight. Uh, I don't know. Uh, what is there, what constitutes females raping males. I was passed out drunk and I woke up to a blowjob, which usually I'm fine with the alarm clock blowjobs, but in this instance, I wasn't. And she proceeded to mount me and I was trying to do dead hands and she kept putting them on her boobies. And I was just like, no, I don't want to do that. But I didn't see that verbally. I was just kind of shocked by what was happening. Was I raped or am I just being a dick about this? This question is a trap. There is really no way for me to answer this question without getting into worlds of trouble. I am now going to attempt to tiptoe through this minefield. Were you raped? You don't say, you didn't leave a callback number, so I can't call you back. You don't say how long you've been together with this person. Those details, I think, matter. If you have been in a long-term relationship with someone, you exist, as I have said controversially in the past, in a state of implied consent or ongoing consent. Terry, my husband, can come up to me and grab my dick. Terry, my husband, I can come up behind him when he's washing dishes or whatever the fuck and put my hands on his ass. If I did that to some stranger at the gym, that would be sexual assault. If I do that to my husband at the sink without his verbal consent it is not sexual assault we exist in a state of ongoing consent consent that can be withdrawn if i touch his ass at the sink and he says knock it off not now he shrugs me off because he's not in the mood to be touched because his focus is on the dishes and he doesn't want me focusing on his ass at that moment i do withdraw that is my responsibility he has withdrawn consent you know he has flipped the switch and we are in a state of consent is required active verbal yes is required 
<sighs> so yeah, if I woke up in the middle of the night, if I went to bed drunk and I woke up in the middle of the night and my dick was in my husband's mouth or his was in mine, I don't think that I would feel in that moment as if I had been raped. I would feel in that moment as if Terry was acting on the bedrock consent that exists pretty much at all times in our relationship because we are so comfortable with each other and we know each other so well and this is allowed. And it sounds like this sort of thing might have been allowed in your relationship too. You say that this perhaps has happened in the past or if it had happened in the past or it may have happened that you would have been okay with it, but at this moment you were not okay with it. But you didn't say anything. You did dead hands, which I guess are like jazz hands but dead. I've never heard of dead hands before in this particular context. And she mounted you, and she continued to attempt to initiate. And you laid there, I guess, with your dick in or near her, and you getting aroused. Yes, it is totally possible for women to sexually assault men. And men will sometimes get aroused as they are being sexually assaulted. It's a physiological response. Same thing as women often feel deeply and terribly conflicted and struggle with shame over the fact that they may become physically aroused during a sexual assault. It's something that really complicates the aftermath of a sexual assault for some women. Because they don't understand that this is their body acting to protect itself. This is a physiological response. They are not aroused. Their body is kicking into gear to protect them from tissue damage, from physical damage. Same thing for dudes. Dudes can become sexually aroused during an assault. Women can absolutely assault women. But you're asking me to tell you whether or not this was rape. And I think that, yeah, by some MRI definition perhaps of rape that this qualifies. And if you want to call it rape and you want to end your relationship with your girlfriend for this reason that you can storm out in high dudgeon and self-righteously accuse her of having sexually assaulted you, I suppose. I suppose it rises to the level of the technical definition, perhaps, of a sexual assault or a rape. I wouldn't, under a similar circumstance, define it that way. I would chalk it up to confusion. This was somebody that you were in a relationship with, somebody that you say that this kind of initiation in the past I can't remember if it has occurred or you just speculate that if it did occur under when you were feeling differently about it would have been all right with you. So it happened at this time and this time it wasn't all right with you. So I would ask you, ultimately you're the one who has to decide how you feel about this experience and how you're going to label it and understand it and process it and what that means for you going forward with this particular girlfriend. But I would challenge you to ask yourself some questions. If indeed you two have engaged in exactly this kind of behavior in the past. Your girlfriend initiating when you are unconscious, surprising you with a blowjob in this way, and it was okay with you, it might be understandable that she assumed that this was okay with you. Particularly after she began, and perhaps you became aroused, and then she mounted you, and the only data that you were delivering to her about how you felt about this dead hands. And it's understandable that she might have misinterpreted that. So maybe she gets a pass. Or maybe she doesn't. Maybe she goes to jail. Maybe you call the police on your late night, drunken, passed out, blowjob giving girlfriend. And I can only speak for myself here, but if this exact set of circumstances had gone down between me and my husband, if Terry had done to me exactly what your girlfriend had done to you, we would have a conversation about what was awkward and uncomfortable and unpleasant about that. We would even have a conversation about how I felt violated. But I wouldn't myself call it rape, and I wouldn't myself end my relationship over it. You get to make your own choices. Hi, Dan. I am a 33-year-old woman from the Northwest, and um, my husband and I have a question for you. We've been swinging for about two years 
which has been great. But we met um, this woman a few years ago, and then about last year after her divorce, we started sleeping with her, and everything was great, and no drama or anything, but she also happened to be our son's preschool teacher, and that didn't seem to be much of an issue either. Anyway, about six months ago, we decided that we were going to move on, and she moved on, and no real issue with that either. Everything was fine until this week when she decided that due to a new man she was dating, she needed to atone for all of the sins that she has done in the past and can't see us anymore and kicked our son out of preschool. He won't talk to us about any of this. And so now we're kind of stuck with what to tell people because we are not out with this. We live in a very small town. Yeah, we're just really kind of betrayed and confused. And I guess we need to know, like, what our rights are as far as what we can do about this. We don't want to send him back to her, obviously. But, yeah, we just don't know what to do. So any advice that you have would be great. You ask what your rights are in this situation, and I'm not sure what to tell you. Perhaps you could sue, but if you sue, you're going to out yourself in your small community. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that there probably isn't any established case law involving children being thrown out of preschools by women who were in polyamorous triads briefly with that kid's parents. I'm going to just guess that there's not a lot of circuit courts that have weighed in on that yet. So I don't think the courts are where you need to go. I don't think this is a rights case that you can press in court. You could perhaps implore this woman to see what she's doing for exactly what it is. She's atoning for what she thinks is a sin, for one sin, by committing another. She is not punishing you or not punishing herself. She's punishing this innocent child who had nothing to do with these adult relationships, with these intimate relationships. How did that kid feel? when he was thrown out of his preschool, when he was torn from his friends because of drama between these adults that he is completely unaware of, probably terrible. This is the person who has been wronged here. Not you guys, not this woman, not her new boyfriend. This poor child is the victim in this entire circumstance. You guys all needed to suck it up and be the grown-ups and not let this impact the life of this child. And that's not what happened. And, and I'm not blaming, blaming your feet, you and your husband. It's this woman. She has punished this child for her own sins. How does that absolve her of her sins? It doesn't. It only compounds her sins. So you could go to her and make a sinny, Christy, Jesus-y, religious-y case for not throwing your kid out, but would you trust this woman around your kid anymore? Would you want your kid in her care? Probably not. So you're all going to have to move the fuck on and you're going to have to make other arrangements for your kid. And if anyone asks you why your kid left this preschool, you can lie. You have my permission to lie your ass off and just say it wasn't the right fit for him and we pulled him out of preschool. And if she's running around telling people she kicked the kid out, then you call her and say, if you keep telling people that you kicked our kid out of your preschool, we're going to have to tell people why you kicked our kid out of our preschool. And I don't think you want that. So let's all just leave each other alone and 
fucking drop it and you let us say we pulled our kid out of your preschool. Okay, thanks. Bye. Don't want to have to call your new boyfriend and tell him what a slut you are. You could go there, I think. You can go DEFCON 5 to protect your kid, which you need to do. And in the future, and swingers or wannabe swingers out there, take note. Best to err on the side of no overlap between the people you're fucking and authority roles in the lives of your children. Don't fuck their teachers. Don't fuck the people who run their schools. Don't fuck their priests or whoever the fuck else has an important role in the life of your child. Probably not a great idea to start fucking that person because if it goes south, that can negatively impact your child. And you need to, at all times, not just when your pants are around your ankles, at all times, protect your children. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm calling because I'm in a long-term relationship I've been with this guy for about two and a half years now, and it's probably been two years, give or take a few months, since he has gone down on me. Uh, granted, we've we've had a kid together. She's about 19 months old, but I mean, everything healed within, you know, the eight-week time span that they give, so it's not like anything's changed down there. Um He's just said that he doesn't like going down there, you know, and he does other things. I mean, he finger bangs me and we, we do have sex, not, not very often, but we do have it. Um, but I've never come with him and I always pretend that I do. I always, I enjoy our sex. I mean, it is enjoyable. It is an intimate experience, but I think that I need, you know, a little bit more to get off. So I know you're probably going to tell me I just need to have a heart to heart with him and talk to him, but I'm afraid I've just kind of settled into faking it. And, um, you know, I do have sex toys that I, I please myself with. I don't know if it's time to just bring those into the bedroom or what, but I need some help here because I feel like our intimacy and my satisfaction with the relationship is really waning right now. Never fake it. Ladies, please don't fake it because eventually you're, going to wind up with somebody you start out faking because probably the relationship isn't going to go anywhere most relationships don't go anywhere and then two and a half three four ten twenty years go by and you've been faking it all that time and there's really no way to extricate yourself from that without shattering the guy's ego and often i encourage people not to bend over backwards to accommodate some guy straight gay whatever and his fragile ego but this is a time where Perhaps the guy's fragile ego needs to be taken into consideration and defended, and it's in your own self-interest to do so. Because if you shatter his sexual self-esteem, you're already kind of iffy, hanging by a thread. Sexual relationship may collapse, and you don't want it to collapse. You want to put some wind in its goddamn sails. So rather than going in this sort of circumstance to your husband and saying, you know, over the last few years, the entire time we've been together, I've never actually had an orgasm. You have never actually given me an orgasm every single time you thought you gave me an orgasm. I fucking faked it. Now we need to start over. You need to do better. No, I I don't think you say that. I think you tell a lie. I think you take a little responsibility for the corner that you've painted yourself into and you tell a lie. And rather than going to him and saying, I have never come with you, you go to him and say, perhaps because of childbirth or whatever else, I no longer come from the same sort of stuff that I used to come from. It's not as easy for me to come anymore as it once was. And so we need toys. We need vibrators. We need this extra effort. I need oral fucking sex. I need more concentrated 
clitoral stimulation than just a little bit of fingering and then your dick in my pussy because most women, 75%, can't come from that. And I am one of those women now. I used to be one of those women who could come from vaginal penetration only, but something about childbirth changed everything down there, scrambled all the nerves. And now, yeah, the clit's the thing. And I need some attention paid to my clit during intercourse or before or after intercourse. And that allows him to think that what he used to do worked, but now because of physiological changes or age or childbirth or whatever else, he needs to do other things to get you off. Allows him to make those changes, allows you to get those orgasms without throwing his precious ego and the dick attached to it into a wood chipper. Hi, Dan. I am a 22-year-old gay male living on the West Coast. I am currently going through a coming out process. Um, I have a 29-year-old boyfriend who is absolutely amazing. However, I just came out to my mom. And she is um, an avid Trump supporter, Christian, Baptist, and that's how I grew up too. I'm also a Republican Trump voter. I decided to come out to her, and she is saying that it's a choice, and uh, how it's basically my my dad's fault for not being there. And so I I want to address this to her that. It's not because of an absent father. It's just who I am. But I feel like I don't know how to argue my case, so to speak. I have a feeling that once my whole family knows that uh, it's going to be an uphill battle for me. And I'm just really scared. And um, I have an amazing boyfriend who supports me. But I am just at a loss and I just need any support I can get. Being gay isn't a choice. Well, being a homosexual isn't a choice. Being gay, telling people the truth, that's kind of a choice. I've talked in the past about, I call it the three-layer cake of sexual orientation. First layer is who you want to fuck. Second layer is who your fucking top layer is, what you tell people. If your layers are all out of whack, then you're George Reekers or Ted fucking Haggard. Google them, children. So what do you tell your mother about it being a choice. Well, you chose to come out to her. You chose to tell her the truth. You didn't choose to be gay, period, the end. And you don't have to win the argument yourself because there are books. I would recommend that you send your mother a copy of Simon LeVay's terrific book, Gay, Straight, and the Reason Why, The Science of Sexual Orientation. And you ask your mom to read it. You also ask your mom to attend a PFLAG meeting. Perhaps the next time you're home or you make a special trip home, go to a PFLAG meeting with your mother. And you make reading this book. You make going to that PFLAG meeting conditional. You love her unconditionally, but contact with you, your presence in her life. I'm sure there are people out there listening who are saying it before I can even get it out of my mouth. Your only leverage over your parents as an adult, and you're an adult and you are a gay one, your only leverage is your presence. And if your parents can't love you, respect you, and treat you kindly, don't be present for them. Tell your mother, if she wants to talk about choice, you know what's a choice, mom? Whether I see you or not, whether you have a place in my life or not going forward, that is a choice. And it's not my choice, it's your choice. The important sort of caveat to this advice, your only leverage is your presence, is you got to give your parents some time. You got to give your mother some time to have her freak out. You're 22 years old, you just came out to her. She's having a tantrum. Tell her she has a year. 
And in this year, you will see her. You will answer every question. She can say shitty, horrible things to you if she needs to. She can have a tantrum. And right now, you will parent her. Right now, she is the child. You are the parent. You will parent her through this tantrum that she is going to have about this unwelcome news. And at the end of that year, love, respect, courtesy, kindness, or you will not be there. You will not be present. You will get out there, and as Armistead Milepen says, you will find your logical family. And biological and logical families, it's great when there's a lot of overlap there, when a lot of people in your biological family are part of your logical family, but sometimes there ain't a lot of overlap there. And you as an adult, you get to create and make your own family. The boyfriend you've got now with the boyfriend or friends coming later with the husband in your future, if it's not that guy that you're with now, maybe some other guy, or guys coming the polyamorous legal marriage future, whatever, you can make your own family of friends. Not only gay dudes, but other queers, other straight people, wherever it is that you choose to live, far from these Baptist knuckle-dragging Trump voters, whether they're related to you or not. There's your family. They're your future. Your mother is your past. And you tell your mother she can be a part of your life now, a part of your present, current, everyday life now, but only if she loves and respects you. And the way she can demonstrate that, go to a couple of fucking PFLAG meetings. Read Simon LeVay's book. And if she won't do that, don't go home next Christmas. Or recognize that wherever you are and with who... And if she won't do that, don't go home next Christmas or recognize that wherever you are right now, that is home. Hey, Dan, I'm a 24-year-old pansexual lady living in Arizona, calling about a long-term predicament I've been in since I've started dating in my teenage years. I should start off by saying that I have an alcoholic, heroin, and every other drug under the sun addict father. Uh, He wasn't present pretty much my whole life because he's told he'd have to be sober if he was going to be around me. Uh, this, along with the fact that I enjoy being present and many other reasons have led me to be sober my whole life. Um, this has affected my dating life intensely. I'm fine when starting to date a new person, but as we get closer, I have almost a PTSD response to them drinking alcohol or doing other substances. Um, it's to a point where I get like completely out of my control I feel extreme anxiety and fear, um, nauseousness, I'll like shut down or run away. Uh, I just, I feel like out of control and terrified. And even when they're not an alcoholic, uh, I tell my partners about the reaction and that they don't need to stop drinking for me. This is my stuff. Um, I don't want to be resented for stopping their partying and I I don't want to be controlling. Um, A lot of times partners have offered to stop drinking because it doesn't matter enough to them. Uh, And later I'll find them drinking and lying to me about it. Uh, And that hurts more than anything. So I've tried dating only sober people, so I don't have to deal with that problem. It's really fucking hard. I'm young. I go out dancing all the time. I live in a small town. Um, I also belong to an incredibly artistic, beautiful community of musicians and punks who share my queer relationship values and political values. That means a lot to me, but in the small community in town, it's hard to find anybody, let alone people who are sober. This has led me to feel like I'm unlovable, I'm undesirable, I'm flawed. I've tried to stop caring and go to therapy or Al-Anon, but it hasn't made this predicament go away. Instead, I find myself in these non-attached dating and sex relationships, so I don't get to the point where they can hurt me like that. So my question is, what do I do? Do I date non-sober people and just try to deal with it? Do I look for other sober people? 
do I just not date for a while? Something needs to change. This is really pretty miserable. I want to highlight five words that you said, five words that came out of your mouth that I think need to be your mantra. This is me, my stuff. This is your problem and you need to take some responsibility for it. And it sounds like you've been very thoughtful about it. It sounds like you've taken responsibility for it up to a point. You need to get into perhaps a cognitive behavioral therapy program where you can really work on this in a pragmatic way, work on tools that you can use to help you with this. You also need to recognize that if you do have indeed PTSD from your childhood and from your father being addicted to everything under the sun, that it's exposure that helps people with PTSD to stop having panic reactions uh, to their triggers. So you don't want to wall yourself off from the world of people who drink and perhaps can socially use drugs and use drugs responsibly, which are most people in the world. You want to, in a controlled way, encounter that and learn how to accept it and not have panic attacks about it. It might help if you told yourself every day that addiction cost you a parent. It was addiction that cost you a relationship with your father. It wasn't beer or pot or heroin or whatever else all by itself. It was addiction. Your father had addiction issues. It is possible for people to consume alcohol, pot, even some other drugs responsibly without being addicts. I really feel like at 24, it's time for you to reframe your thinking about this. And rather than say to yourself, am I going to date sober people or non-sober people? I think that kind of sober, not sober language or way of framing it is loaded. And there's something about it that implies that the non-sober person is not just non-sober, but an addict, that there's sobriety and then there's addiction. And I don't think you want to think of it that way. You're going to date people who use drugs and alcohol responsibly. You are never going to date somebody who's a mess. You're never going to date somebody who has a drug or alcohol problem, but you're going to stop thinking that all people who use drugs and alcohol have a problem. They don't. Or you're going to date people who don't use drugs and alcohol. And perhaps it might be easier for you to find somebody who doesn't use drugs and alcohol. Maybe not because they're sober or in recovery, not that that isn't a good option for you, but because it doesn't do anything for them. There are people out there who don't use drugs and alcohol because they don't enjoy the feeling. And you might want to search them out. But that's really going to limit your dating pool. And I think you should be open to all. And I think some time with a therapist who specializes in CBT, not the savage love kind of CBT we've talked about a lot, but cognitive behavioral therapy, not to be confused with cock and ball torture. Find a therapist who specializes in that kind of CBT. Get to work on some limited exposure therapy to your triggers around drugs and alcohol and get to work on what you described very accurately as your stuff. Hi, Dan. So an interesting situation presented itself at work with me and a coworker. The coworker who is married with kids made a pretty significant move on me in the middle of the day after no um, influence from alcohol. I don't have any feelings toward this coworker. Um, I'm in a committed relationship and don't think of him in any way like that. Um, and our, our relationship up to this point was strictly professional. We go on a lot of business trips um, and I work with him in a close capacity, but I'm nice, not flirtatious. <laughs> he, after making this move on me, wherein which he tried to kiss me, he told me um, that he'd never felt so connected with someone 
in his life. And I, again, said that I didn't feel that way. The kicker is, is that I have to go on a trip with him and one other person next week. This trip is we're doing uh, trainings and, and presentations, and it requires us to work pretty closely we're obviously going on all the same flights. We're going staying in, you know, the same hotels. And I'm wondering what your advice is on how to handle the situation. It's substantially awkward right now. And he's told me that obviously he feels very bad, but he's also wants to talk about it. And I told him I'm not uncomfortable, completely uncomfortable with that. And I, I'm not, not going to do that at, right now. And he's basically told me that he's feeling very, very sad emotionally. So what do I do? Do I go on this business trip? Do I suck it up and um, go and pretend like everything's fine? Or do I make up some excuse and not go? If not going on the trip won't negatively impact your career, if it's not going to get you in trouble with your employers, if it's not going to disappoint the higher-ups, your bosses, uh, if it's not going to cost you an opportunity to make a professional contact or meet up with people you've networked with that could help you in the future, then don't go. If that's an option, you can sidestep all of this agitas and drama because I guarantee you this mopey, boundaryless idiot, once you're in another city, once you're in a hotel together, once a couple of drinks are in him, is not going to respect your boundaries any better than he did that day in your workplace. So yeah, if you don't have to go, don't go. If it's not going to harm you not to go, don't go. But if it's going to harm you in any way, professionally, not to go, if it's going to make you look foolish in front of your bosses, then go to HR, go to your higher ups, create a digital record or professional record now of what happened and say you handled it and you're just concerned that this is a problem. And maybe the person who shouldn't go on this trip is him, not you, him. So go to HR if that's an option and file a complaint. There are a lot of women in your circumstance, uh, and not just women, men who've been hit on inappropriately by people in their offices, sometimes by other men, but also sometimes by women who have just toughed it out because it was a choice between losing that opportunity or annoying the higher ups or creating a fuss that was also going to annoy the higher ups. And there are people who, in your circumstance, have sucked it up and packed mace. Also an option for you. I would rank these options in order of preference for one, don't go if you don't need to go. If you don't want to go, if it's not going to hurt you not to go, don't go. Two, go, but go to the higher ups and tell them that you're concerned about being alone with him based on this prior incident. Or three, go to him and say, look, we're going. If you hit on me, I will file a complaint. I have written everything down. I have spoken to someone in HR. And if you do anything inappropriate, it will be your job. And then go. Hi, Dan. Um, I am a white female bisexual, uh, age 24. And I had a question. I have been with my human for two years approximately now. And recently he has decided that I should learn how to be sexier, I guess. There's a better word for it. And I'm blanking on it. But I just need to make the moves to get him into bed with me, essentially. Be more seductive. That's the word. I am the sub in the relationship, and he's the dom, and I really don't have any idea how to be more seductive. At the beginning, 
I knew all I had to do was masturbate in front of him, but now uh, that doesn't really work anymore, Mm -hmm. and I don't really know what to do. So I was wondering if you had any pointers to spice up a relationship or for a sub to maybe be more seductive when the going gets tough. Try smoking some pot. Maybe that'll help you masturbate in front of him again. I I think the problem here is one of early onset together foreverness that you're taking each other for granted and that you're increasingly a little awkward and self-conscious because once you hit that taking each other for granted spot, you can be thrown off your stride. You can then begin to feel self-conscious that when you barely knew him, masturbating in front of him or making a move or being cliche seductive didn't make you self-conscious because you didn't know him that well. You didn't know if you would be together for very long. So the stakes weren't very high emotionally in those moments. If you fell on your face, if you made a fool of yourself while you were attempting to be seductive, who cares? Because the guy might not be around three weeks later. Well, now it's two years. Now you're emotionally invested in each other. Now this is a going thing. And it's odd how people become more self-conscious over time with someone as they get more familiar with them. But that often is the case sexually. You get more self-conscious, more inhibited. Because you worry about his opinion of you, not just about whether he wants to fuck you or not, but, you know, maybe you did something funny at breakfast and he kind of teased you about the egg on your, literally, the egg on your face at breakfast. You got some egg on your face, you know, and he kind of teased you. And that can get bundled up into sex where you're afraid then to take a risk for fear of being teased or looking a fool. And we're not self-conscious about that at the start. We take huge risks. We take giant risks. Things We do things that might make us look completely idiotic with someone we barely know and may never see ever again. But with this guy, you have to look at every day. And that's where pot comes in. Smoke some pot, have a glass of wine, and then try masturbating in front of him. Tell him, tell your dom, order your dom to order you to do the things that he imagines when he tells you that he would like you to be more seductive, whatever those things might be. If you have some sort of power exchangey dynamic in your relationship, it's better for him to be explicit and domineering and tell you exactly what he wants you to do than to ask you to guess at it because that'll just make your self-consciousness more acute. So a little combo platter there. Assignments for both of you. Smoke some pot, have a glass of wine, and try masturbating in front of him then. I bet it'll be easier because that'll help you conquer your inhibitions and your self-consciousness. And for him, no vague orders. No be vaguely, generally, sort of, kind of, more seductive, whatever that means, go. No, exactly what he wants from you. Dirty pictures during the day when he's at work, you can do that if you know that that's what he would like, if that's what he needs. But no more asking you to hit a bullseye in the dark without telling you exactly where the dartboard is. Hi, Dan. I'm calling from the Bay Area, California. Um, with a question, I recently have began a new relationship that's very loving and healthy and wonderful um, in many, many ways, um, including a lot of sexual fantasies that I've had, but kept kind of dormant because of previous partners and lack of trust and things like that have come to light just in our, in our interactions. And I'm really excited. Um, That being said, I want to ask you about, I guess, you would call it a choking fetish. I mean, I don't like to be completely choked, but I do really enjoy a firm grip on my neck during certain parts of sex. I've talked about it with my partner and we've established safe words and things like that. But 
at the same time, I'm still a little nervous about it because it's new to me and I want to make sure I'm being safe in this very precarious kind of play. And any information you have on this kind of thing would be surely appreciated. Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, Amp. He's the co-creator of Watch the Safe Word, a YouTube channel and series that focuses on sex ed and kink. They've done videos, hilarious videos on bondage, cleaning up, anal sex, pup play prep, chastity play, and more. Amp and his co-host and co-creator, Bolt. Their videos have been viewed more than 1.5 million times. And if you haven't already seen them or checked them out, please do. Hey, Amp, thanks for jumping on the phone. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. Uh, before we get to the question, uh, what inspired you to start Watts the Safe Word? And I'm pronouncing Watts the Safe Word like that because it's W <laughs> it's W A T T apostrophe S the Safe Word. Watts the Safe Word, not W H A T for people who are going to go look for it. So, what inspired you to start your, start your vlog? Um, well, we are uh, just big fans of the YouTube platform. Just being able to talk to an audience and kind of build your own brand on there, mm-hmm. uh, and being kinky, you know, gay active people in our community. Uh, we didn't really see a lot of representation on there. And so we thought, why not try it? People need to know things. They, you know, we're pretty young ourselves as far as the community goes, but having explored a bit, we know that there's lots of other people out there that need information and want information. So mm-hmm. we just made something that we would enjoy as people that, you know, need some education on kink. And I think your videos, and I'm a, I'm a fan, and I think other people would enjoy them, and people of all ages and sexual orientations can benefit from watching them, but I think they really particularly speak to young gay kinksters, who often, when you go out there looking for information, uh, you know, you're a young kinkster, you're gay, you want to find information about BDSM or the kink scene, a lot of it's written by guys who are, you know, been around for a while in their 50s, 60s, 70s, sometimes even older, if you stumble across a copy of Larry Townsend's The Leatherman's Handbook in a gay used bookstore or a dirty bookstore, sometimes even way older. So I think that your videos from the young kinksters perspective and young folks coming into uh, the BDSM uh, gay kink scene are really valuable. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, that was another thing we kind of were looking at the community and we weren't seeing anything that was super, I wouldn't say like light and fluffy, but something that's easy to not only digest, but isn't scary. It's not dark. It's not brooding. It's, it's easy to sit down and we hope that we're somewhat relatable because we're not really making fun at people. We're just making fun with. Yeah. That, that and, comes across. Like what I love about the videos is Bolt who kind of plays, uh, your dim foil often in the videos. I mean, he's, <laughs> and he, Bolt's a really smart guy. So I know that he's like playing that up. Um, your, oh, yeah. your, your rapport is charming. And, and I think your use of humor is really great. And, and I'm a big fan of using humor when you talk about sex. You, you can be too serious about it. And I think people are more open to taking in information and retaining it if they're enjoying themselves and laughing uh, and having a good Agreed. time while they're reading your sex advice column, in my case, or watching your videos in yours. Hey, well, we love what you do as well. You know, if you're not having fun, what's the point? <laughs> so let's tackle this question. Uh, so sure. she's met somebody and she has this kink for some light choking. And that is that is beginner's breath play. Now, breath play is hugely controversial. Uh, Wiseman in his book, SM101, says absolutely not, never do it. Mistress Matisse, who's a frequent guest here on the Savage Lovecast, you can see her in her Twitter account shoving needles through men's dicks who would like to have needles shoved through their dicks completely consensually. Uh, and she does a lot of sorts of ex- what people regard as extreme kink. 
play. She will not do breath play in any form. You guys did a video on breath play, unpacking how to make it safer if you're going to do it. Can you explain why you did that video and what you learned while you put it together? Sure. So I, I totally get the perspective of never doing it, never promoting it. Um, but personally, I've had a few people in my close proximity, uh, a good friend at one point, that passed from practicing breath play. Uh, and while some of the details are a little fuzzy as to how it happened and if he was with someone, my belief is that, I mean, if, if there's something out there on the Internet that people can find, mm -hmm. uh, they're going to look into it, they're going to research it, and they're going to try it if that's something that they're into. Mm -hmm. At least when you talk about something, and we're very clear about, you know, the breath play, especially in our episode, like never practice it alone. If you're going to practice it, have someone else with you, have safe words, you know, make sure that you're doing this safely and being conscious of, you know, the pressure points and the arteries in your neck and all of this, this information. Um, but my belief is, and I know this for a fact because I have a teenage brother, <laughs> Teenagers are going to look for that information and they're going to practice whatever they find. Mm -hmm. And I would much rather provide them with information that says, hey, this is really unsafe. But if you're going to practice it a little more safely, if you're going to try to practice it safely, um, here's some pointers. Here's some things to recommend. You know, have these nonverbal safe words, especially for breath play. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you're avoiding the trachea and you know about the arteries and you know CPR, you know, mm -hmm. especially if you're choking someone out. So that's kind of how we approached it. It sounds like a lot of knowing you got to do before you can have this orgasm. Is it worth it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've done breath play in my, in my sex life with other people, and I've really enjoyed it. It's not a safe kink. It is a thing. It is a kink you can practice safer, but never completely safely. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to do it, you know, uh, have safe words that are nonverbal. Eye contact's great. Make sure you know the different pressure points, especially if you're choking, because breastplate can be done really easily with like masks or hoods or gas masks. Right. That, that's what the, that, start... that's the, that's the form that I've gone out on the limb and recommended to people that if you're going to do breathplay, if you want to experiment with cutting someone's air off or having your air cut off rather mm -hmm. than hanging, rather than wrapping your having someone wrap their uh, hands around your throat and who may not know about the pressure points, who may not know about uh, what not, you know, where not to press, what to be careful of not damaging. And even then it's an inexact science, even if they do know mm -hmm. to get, get a gas mask and you can just literally put the palm of a hand over the, I don't know, the air intake outtake valve on a gas mask. And all the person whose air is, is being cut off has to do to get air is shake their head, is turn their head a little bit, so mm -hmm. break the seal uh, of the palm on the air intake outtake valve. So that to me seems like perhaps the safest way. What this caller is talking about, she's talking about choking. She's talking about yep. hands around the neck choking. In, when you researched your video about breath play, you and you and Bolt, what would your recommendations for her be? This is not my area of expertise, and everyone out there listening. <laughs> You're responsible for your own sex life. You're responsible for your own choices. This is a varsity-level kink that we are discussing. Do not rush in and try this if you have no interest in breath play. Don't cultivate one because, like Amp just said, it can only be done <laughs> safe, you know, a little more safely than it might be done otherwise. But there is no absolutely safe way to do this. So, Amp. Correct. Hands on the throat choking um, are the recommendations. I'd say learn to walk before you can run. Uh, if, if this is something that, that she is into 
as a, as a thought, like if this is some, some dirty romance mag in her mind that she's getting off to, like, awesome. But I would start out with, you know, gas masks, hoods. Uh, there's one form of breath play called like circular breathing, which is where you're going to hold your breath and with your partner, because you're not doing this alone, uh, you're going to essentially breathe back and forth. You're almost like making out, but you're not breathing through your nose. You're breathing through your partner. Mm-hmm. And as you continue to breathe in and out, it gets harder and harder to actually get good oxygen. And it is a form of breath play. And for me, who I, you know, I do get off on that form of breath play, just having a little less good oxygen getting to my brain, that helps me to get off whenever I'm wanting to practice it. Um, but there, and there's no pressure on your voice box, on your carotid arteries. Uh, there's no, no limiting the amount of blood flow to the brain. There's just limiting the amount of oxygen in the bloodstream with that kind of approach. Mm-hmm. And it, at that point, you can turn your head to the side if you need air, or you can pull away from your partner. And that's something that you guys can practice together. From there, uh, if, you're, if you're further interested in practicing more breath play, like you said, hoods, bags, uh, the safe kind that you can get from like Mr. S, they have rubber bag hoods that have little novels on it, um, and continuing to build from there. Now, it's, it's really funny that you say to people who want to do a little breath play, okay, choking is really potentially very dangerous, particularly if somebody doesn't know what they're doing or you don't know what you're doing. Even if you do think you know what you're doing, it can still be fucking dangerous because accidents happen. Mm-hmm. So you might want to think about getting a gas mask. And they get all freaked out that that's just too extreme. That's too severe, a gas mask. It feels to them too sure. kinky when a gas mask is going to be so much <laughs> less risky. Yes, it's going to look you know, edgier, but you're going to be so much safer with a gas mask mm-hmm. on, with you, with your partner, quote unquote, choking you or cutting off your air by fiddling with the air intake outtake valve and the palm of his or her hand. That's safe, but it looks crazy. But it's so much mm-hmm. safer than, you know, the vanilla version of, you know, somebody wrapping their hands around your throat, which is potentially very dangerous. Yeah, and it's more controlled. You can control a hose and the input and output of that so much easier than the pressure of your your hand or your palm mm-hmm. or even like your elbow if they're, if they're in the crook of your arm, like so, so much easier to control with a mask. So we would, I, think, then, we, I think we would both recommend to this woman, order some gas masks, perhaps from Mr. S. Letter absolutely. <laughs> in San Francisco. Um, any other tips for her on the choking front? I, I have one, um, but you know, and I hate to give tips for choking because I don't want to be complicit in somebody doing it wrong and offing themselves potentially. Ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. Don't do this. That's my recommendation when it comes to to breath play. Don't do it. And if you are going to do it, watch watch the safe word video on breath play. Think about <laughs> think about the risks, and then you roll your dice and you move your mice, and you have to live with the consequences. And the consequences of fucking this up can be mm-hmm. death, or if you were complicit in someone's death, manslaughter charges and twenty years in prison. Yep. Well, as someone who's had losses in my life because of a play like this. Uh, I say absolutely communicate with your partner over like above and beyond communication with that. Have your partner get some CPR knowledge, take a class. It's a really easy one day, a few hours kind of thing. Uh, get certified. You know, it's not a bad thing to have in your life and know what your safe word is, whether it's keeping eye contact and the second your eyes roll back, you stop or, you know, jazz hands, whatever it is that's nonverbal because this is a, you know, you can't talk very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay. But those, you know, safety. You keep talking about having a partner while you play with this. Mm-hmm. And you keep talking about the risks inherent in any kind of breath play. It does sure. seem that when you hear of a death, and there was recently a death in the puppy community, 
Uh, everyone mm-hmm. was that I know who's involved in puppy play and in pup land, particularly sort of pup Twitter that links people interested in pup play all over the world together was gutted and just devastated by the, the recent death of pup Nobly, who was a pup play. Uh, he was a player and he was also kind of an educator. He wrote a lot of long posts on his Tumblr about being young, about being kinky, about being into pup play, about being into S and M. And he, recently passed away because he was engaged in solo breath play. Correct. And, and, yeah. and this is, we talked about this a few weeks ago or a couple months ago on the podcast where I said, yes, breath play is dangerous. Everyone acknowledges that it's really dangerous. It does seem that the deaths that you hear about and the only deaths that you hear about are people engaged in breath play alone. And so if you're interested mm-hmm. in breath play and you'd like to make it league safer than it might be otherwise. Just, you know, the basic starting point is never, ever engage in breath play solo. Yep. Absolutely agree. Never, ever, 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 ever. And we stress that so much in the community, but some people, and I think the biggest issue with that, and hopefully it wasn't Nobly's case, but I think the biggest issue is we try and sweep it under the rug and tell people, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And because they're told they can't do it, but they still are just hardwired to want it, they start to practice it alone. And that is one of the biggest reasons that we talk about it. And then they practice it alone and think, well, I didn't die. So obviously I can do this without offing myself that I'm, mm-hmm. that I'm, which is a little bit like saying I don't need car insurance because every time I've been in a car, I've never gotten to an accident. Yep. And then you drive down to the store and Right. And you get into a terrible car accident and you needed goddamn car insurance. You need the insurance of somebody else there in the room with you if you're going to engage in this kind of play, which, you know, people from Jay Wiseman, the author of S&M 101, Mistress Matisse, educator, player, uh, serious BDSM player, and others say, Mm -hmm. don't ever do this. But certainly, if you do this, never, ever alone. Pup Nobly left behind devastated friends, devastated partner, devastated family. And really, uh, you know, I, I've known, and I mentioned this in the show before when we talked about this, I've known people who've died doing solo breath play personally, and it's, it's devastating. And so please, it is. I'm sorry for your loss. Please. I mean, you, you guys on the what's the safe word episode on breath play did mention autoerotic asphyxiation, which is what it's called mm-hmm. only to say, don't not auto, never alone, never to yourself by yourself. And what we need to do is we need to take the auto off autoerotic asphyxiation and saw it off and remove it forever. So there's erotic asphyxiation that perhaps can be practiced more safely with a partner, with some of the recommendations that AMP has made and I have made. But perhaps, you know, if you you don't need to go there, if you don't want to go there, it's not necessarily a kink. I think it's wise to cultivate an interest in. Mm Mm-hmm. But if you must, no, here's, here's how, but never auto, never solo, never to yourself, never on your own. I agree 100%. <laughs> never alone. All right. Uncharacteristically, Amp, of me, I'm going to allow you to have the final word here. Any final thoughts about breath play for people out there listening? Uh, you know, as we said, never practice it alone. If you do and you have questions, ask people. Don't Don't treat it so taboo that people are just going to back off. I mean, your kinks... Sometimes you can't help what you're hardwired to like. And I would rather people ask questions and be informed and research what they're into than practice it unsafely and alone and think that, hey, you know, I did it this one time by myself. I'm okay. I'm going to do it again. And then next time you go too far. Like there's community there 
And while not everyone supports every kink, there are people out there that can answer your questions and can help you and can relate to what you're into. So never, never stop asking questions, never practice this alone and do everything safely and consensually and have a good time. And maybe buy a gas mask or two if you're really interested. In <laughs> and go to Mr. S. Leather in San Francisco. <laughs> Invest in a gas mask. Thank you so much, Amp. The YouTube channel, lots of safe word. Where can people find it? Uh, on YouTube. Uh, we're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at pup underscore amp. If you have any other follow-up questions or have any ideas for episodes, we love getting feedback from people. But we're online. All right, check it out. What's the safe word? It's really, really a terrific uh, vlog, a terrific project, Amp. And thank you very much for jumping on the show and tell Bolt I said hey. I will. Thank you, Dan. And we'll talk to you later. Hi, Dan. I'm a 41-year-old female in the Pacific Northwest, and I have a conundrum for you. I was messaging someone. We were messaging back and forth on POS, and we decided to exchange our kick handles. So we've been messaging on kick. It got a little steamy, not too much. I've never met him. I don't know what kind of chemistry we have, so I didn't let it get too out of hand. Well, we planned on meeting up today, actually. and uh, But last night, he asked for my FetLife account handle, and I said I wanted to wait until I met him. I just want to know if we have chemistry in person. So uh, we made a plan that he was going to send me a cockpit this morning, uh, morning wood. And uh, when I opened up my kick messenger, there was his morning wood, but there was also my pussy in the background. He found my FetLife account, and I think it's pretty creepy. I didn't explode at him, but I was like, dude, that's really creepy, and I don't want to meet you now. So I don't know if I overdid it or if, I, I mean, I feel I have every right to be creeped out and not want to meet him, but I really want an opinion on this. He actually listens to your show, so I'm hoping that maybe he will never do this again and learn from this. I love it when people call and tattle on a listener and I get to beat up a listener of my show on my own show. Uh, yeah, this is pretty fucked up. I wouldn't say it's completely fucked up or the most fucked up thing I've ever heard or the worst violation of a boundary that I've heard about even today, but it's pretty fucked up. What it displays is terrible judgment. Listener, dude, dude who's been tattled on. She was about to show you her pussy. You had an agreement. You were going to show her your cock and she was going to show you her pussy. And she had indicated that she wasn't quite ready yet to show you her pussy, that you were establishing still slowly trust and getting to know each other. And a point would come where you would get to see her pussy and you rushed things. And now you will never most likely get to see her pussy ever. So you cost yourself some pussy time, a pussy viewing, an in-person pussy viewing, perhaps even more than just a viewing of pussy. You... Blew it. You cost yourself that by doing what? By getting ahead of yourself, by demonstrating to her that you could find her pussy and you would see her pussy when you were ready to see her pussy and not when she was ready to show it to you. After she had indicated that she was going to show you her pussy at the time and place of her choosing. All that said, caller, how hard was your pussy to find? 
you're in a particular area. You met on Tinder, which is region based. You indicated to him that you did have a fat life profile. I don't know how much of your personal information you had exchanged. I don't know if perhaps your Tinder profile handle and your fat life profile handle are similar. You said to him, I have a fat life profile, but you established that there was a fat life profile that you had after he already had probably enough information about your location to find your pussy. And maybe he thought he was just being cute and playful and mistakenly so thought he was being cute and playful by showing to you that this line you'd drawn in the sand was kind of a silly one considering how much you already knew about each other and how flirtatious you had already been with each other. I'm not saying it didn't display bad judgment on his part to jump the gun like this. It absolutely did. I'm just trying to think about it from his angle and whether he thought he was being cute and playful and wasn't trying to be a boundaryless, bad judgment-having asshole who intended to make you feel unsafe. Maybe he saw this as a continuation of the kind of flirtation that you had been doing. I don't have the chats in front of me about your fat life profile. Were they playful and teasing about seeing pussy or were you emphatic and firm about when he would get to see your pussy and when he wouldn't get to see your pussy? Because if it was playful and a little provocative and said to him in such a way, you know, if it was daring, if you're kind of daring him and I, I don't know, I don't want to blame the victim here certainly in this, but I don't know. I think that context would matter and may mitigate his stupidity and bad judgment in this instance. So it's up to you whether you ever see him. If this is an absolute deal breaker for you, if somebody who makes you, before you've even met them in person, makes you feel unsafe and makes you feel like they won't respect your nose, particularly if there's any fet, fetishy aspect to what you hope to do with this person, absolutely don't ever see him. And a good life lesson for him it will be if he never gets to see you or your pussy ever again that this kind of jumping the gun even if your pussy was easy to find out there is a bad idea because it can make someone who you need to feel safe with you particularly if there's any kink on the table feel unsafe with you so dude dude bad idea terrible judgment what were you doing what were you thinking oh my god not gonna see this one pussy ever but caller if he's apologized if he's seen the error of his ways if he understands now what was so fucked up about this and can articulate it in a way where it doesn't sound like he's humping your leg or lying to you. Maybe he gets a second chance, never a third chance. Maybe you allow him to continue to text with you. Maybe he can work his way back into your good graces or not. Totally up to you. I want you to do what feels right and safe for you. Obviously you wanted him scolded publicly on this show that he listens to done and done. Whether you ever see him again, that is up to you. Hi, I'm 31, female, living in Pittsburgh. I've always used the word pussy and loved it. And now I'm having a visceral negative reaction whenever the word pussy is used. My pussy dries up, turns into the Sahara Desert. So I need a new word when uh, my fiance and I are getting down to business. Never been a huge fan of the words twat or cunt in a sexual context. And while I'm not scared of saying vagina, it just doesn't feel sexual. Uh, so I'm wondering, A, if other women are having this reaction and B, like what they're choosing to call it now. So maybe this could be one of those things that you turn to the listeners for some brainstorming. I'm going to toss out Vijayjay, the Oprahism from probably 15 years ago now, and Front Hall before we toss it to listeners for their suggestions before we have our brainstorming session. I would, however, call or challenge you. You've rejected out of hand, right out of the gate. 
pussy, twat, and cunt, which I think are three great words that I know women who use them in a sexual context that makes them feel empowered and they love those words and embrace them and makes them feel sexy and hot. But you've rejected them, the big three. And I can't imagine that there's a twee alternative. Perhaps some of our listeners in other countries uh, who speak other languages can toss out some, who knows what they call it in German or Italian when they're being affectionate. I imagine it would sound prettier in Italian than it would in German. But I would challenge you, caller, on whether or not your discomfort with every single word that might be available to you doesn't betray some larger discomfort with Female genitalia with your own genitalia. I, I'm always mystified when people are uncomfortable with every word to describe, for instance, in gay land. I've met gay guys who don't like to be called gay, who don't like to be called homosexual, who don't like to be called inverts, which is a lovely old term for us, who are comfortable with every descriptor. Queer, no. LGBT, no. And the more I got to know guys who felt this way, the more of a sense I got that they were just uncomfortable with being gay. And so I would challenge you to sit with for just a minute while everyone out there brainstorms and calls in and shares other words, whether or not your discomfort with every single perhaps available term for pussy doesn't betray some discomfort with pussy. Quick update. One of the tech savvy at risk youth uh, just tossed out there, of course, that pussy was ruined by Donald Trump. There is now an association between Trump and pussy that makes pussy squicky. I would encourage people to embrace cunt myself, but it's not my genital. It's not my word, but I like cunt, but you don't. So folks out there listening, what's the word that you like? So long as it isn't pussy, cunt, twat, the JJ or front hole, give us some options for this caller. Hey, Dan, I was just calling in response to that poor woman who has the 11th month old and the asshole husband. Um, and I just wanted to say that I think you and Nancy are 100% correct that she should absolutely get on a plane and get the fuck out of there and go back to her family because you can't raise a baby by yourself, especially when you have another set of hands that are as capable as you to hold that child, especially in the middle of the night. Um, and if you can't do it, she needs to find somebody who can. And a great person to do that, if you have that, is, you know, your own mother or father or person who takes care of you and i think that the grand gesture is a great way to kind of knock some sense into somebody who doesn't seem to have a whole lot to begin with hey this is for the uh woman whose husband is getting hand jobs and not helping out the advice is great but don't go home stick it out don't let them off the hook don't make your parents and your family deal with what you should be dealing with unless you're at your wit's end and absolutely need the support that you're not getting Make him do it. Make him get up in the night. My wife breastfed. We did it. And uh, it was exhausting, and she still did more work. But uh, even with working and getting up in the morning, it still takes two. If you're listening, dude, you can do it. And you fucking have to. All right? And you also have to help with all of the other stuff that needs to happen around the house. Because making milk, recovering from having a baby, all of that is a lot of work and it's physically taxing on your body, your metabolism, and your mind. So, be the parent. Hi, this is for the new mother in episode 532. I'm so glad Nancy recommended that her husband start helping with the night feeding, but I just wanted to add that pumping is not the only way for that to happen. New mothers are always told that it's all or nothing, when it comes to breastfeeding, but that's just not true. Formula is your 
friend. Pumping is exhausting, and if she doesn't want to do that, she doesn't have to. She could just as easily go to sleep. My husband can mix up a bottle of formula, feed it to the baby, and in the morning, she could go back to her daytime feedings. I also wanted to add that her husband is not going to get woke unless she wakes him up. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, please give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Be sure to read Savage Love, my weekly syndicated sex advice column in The Dig in Boston and in newspapers all across the country. And be sure to catch Hump, my amateur porn film festival, which is coming to San Francisco this weekend, July 11th through 14th, and then going to Columbus, Pittsburgh, Eugene, Los Angeles, Albuquerque, Madison, Chicago, Washington, and other places. Go to humpfilmfest.com for tickets and more info, including info on how you can make and submit a film to Hump. And if you just can't get enough of me running my mouth about politics, you should be listening to Blabbermouth, the Strangers Weekly Politics Podcast, hosted by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow AMP on Twitter at Pup underscore AMP. And speaking of Twitter, Michael Ducker tweets, Alexa turned me on to podcasts. AirPods finally make them usable for my commute. Which one should I listen to? Adam Singer replied, The Savage Lovecast and Hardcore History. Thank you, Adam, for the shout-out, and thank you for putting me in such great company. I'm a huge fan of Hardcore History. Particularly love the series he did on the First World War. Everyone should be listening to Hardcore History. Speaking of the Savage Lovecast, it's produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for listening.